So if you've got a Bible, do open it to 1 Thessalonians and chapter 4. So in the church Bible, that's page number 1,188. And in the larger print, that's 1,837. So this evening we're going to be looking into a passage that talks about the return of Jesus. And this topic is a big one that brings about a lot of discussion and different views. And I'm sure I won't answer every question tonight. But in today's world, hope is very thin on the ground. People have hope for a good retirement. People hope for a good holiday. People hope for good weather. People hope for a happy life. People hope for good exam results. Hope in today's society is a hope-so kind of hope, where it's not certain, but it might happen. This passage from Thessalonians deals both with the certain hope we have as Christians and the hopelessness of the unbeliever. Tonight's passage is about the future hope we have in Christ and the way we should be living in response to it. Paul was writing to the people of Thessalonians who had come, who had a question about those who had died in Christ before, the, before his return. What will happen to them? Will they miss out on the future kingdom because they've died? What happens to our deceased believing loved ones when Jesus returns? And Paul wants to address this subject in detail and inform them of the hope of all people who are in Jesus Christ. The people in this church in Thessalonica had loved ones who had died, but they were wondering, will they miss out when Jesus returns? This church in Thessalonica, they believed Jesus was returning. In fact, we could learn much from this church. They believed Jesus was returning soon, and it was something at the forefront of their minds. As we'll read, as we read, we see how Paul answers their questions. But first, let me outline the purpose of this passage. The purpose of tonight's passage is to tell us that we have a future hope in Jesus, therefore we shouldn't think like the rest of mankind. We have a future hope in Jesus, therefore we shouldn't think like the rest of mankind. So let's now read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to chapter 5, verse 11. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, And with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left 
will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come, to come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains come on as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is God's word. So point number one, from verses 13 to 18, the return of Christ brings hope. So verse 13 to 18, the return of Christ brings hope. Paul starts off in verse 13 by stating he doesn't want Christians to be uninformed about those who have died in Christ. Paul is going to address the question of what will happen to believers who have died before Jesus returns. But why, why does Paul want these to see, why, do they, why does Paul want them to know about the deceased believers? He wants them to know so that they won't grieve like the rest of mankind. Paul is highlighting here that when someone dies who is a Christian, we do grieve. We do have sadness and sorrow because we love them and miss them. But the difference is we don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For unbelievers, they grieve and it's the end. Their loved one is gone. There's no hope. But we are different because we have hope when Jesus returns. But where, do, where does that hope come from? Notice verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. That is our hope. Jesus, he died for our sin and he rose again to beat the grave. Our hope is in a person. We have a savior in Jesus who has already beaten the grave. Notice what 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 says. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. 
For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Notice that Christ rose again first. He rose again to give us hope and certainty that we one day will rise. It's a little bit like this. Imagine tomorrow you plant 10 seeds in your garden. And after a good few weeks of watering them, you notice three of the shoots have come up. Finally, your plants are growing. They're coming through. As you notice three of them coming up, you can have confidence that the rest will soon follow. And it's similar with the resurrection of all God's people. Jesus has rose again, the first fruits. Therefore, we can have confidence that one day he will rise. But look at the other half of verse 14. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. The word in sleep is just an ancient word for died. The day when Jesus returns, he'll bring every saint from church history and Bible history, from the first of God's people, that was Abel, who who was killed by Cain, right up until the last of God's people to die. He'll bring them with him. Those who have died in Christ are now with Christ, and Christ will bring them back when he returns. So Jesus will come from heaven with those who have died in him. And Paul continues in verse 15. He goes on to talk about the difference between being alive or dead at the return of Jesus. Those who have died won't miss out. In fact, we who are alive won't precede those who have died before us. If you cast your eye down to verse 16, and this is, this is probably the loudest verse in the Bible. This isn't going to be a secret or an unknown event. The Lord himself will come down with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Did you notice something there? If we aren't clear, we can miss something significant. Look at verse 14. Jesus will bring those with him who have died. And in verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise first. So are the dead coming down with Christ or are they being raised up to Christ? This is clear, it's both. The dead in Christ will come with Jesus and then they'll be raised up with new bodies. This is the hope of the resurrection for believers. Then verse 17, we'll be caught up together in the clouds. This will be for those still alive at Jesus' return. They will be raised up in resurrected bodies, an instantaneous event. Notice what 1 Corinthians 15, 51 tells us about this. Listen then, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we, we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound... The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. This will be a flash, a twinkling of an eye. It will happen quickly. And look what will happen, middle of verse 17. We will meet all God's people. Whether we are alive or dead, 
There'll be a complete meeting of all God's people throughout history, and we'll meet them in the clouds with our resurrected bodies. We'll be together with our loved ones who have died in Christ before us. But best of all, notice the end of verse 17. We'll meet the Lord, and so we'll be with the Lord forever. That will be the greatest thing about the second coming of Christ. We'll be with the Lord forever. We'll see the one who died for us, who loves us, who granted us eternal life. We'll see the one who before eternity passed, before eternity passed, loved and chose to die for us. We'll see Jesus, our Savior. That will be the greatest aspect of his return. This is our hope. Those who have died in Christ aren't forgotten. We'll see them again. We'll be with them. We have this hope because Jesus died and rose again for us. But what is Paul's desire for us as we think about this hope? Notice verse 18. Paul wants us to encourage each other with these words. With what words? With the sure return of Jesus. That Jesus is coming back and will meet our loved ones again. But most of all, we'll be with Christ forever. When did you last do that? When did you last encourage someone of the future hope we have in Jesus? We encourage each other about the future so that we don't think like the rest of mankind who have no hope, who just set their eyes on this world and the pleasures here on earth. Other people have either vain hope or no hope. And if we think about the future, the return of Jesus, and encourage each other, we'll end up not thinking like the rest of mankind. We can encourage each other that there's no condemnation awaiting for us if we're in Christ Jesus. We can encourage each other by simply talking about the future that Christ will bring. No more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, no more death. We'll be raised up with new bodies, reunited with believers gone before us. And we can tell each other that one day we'll meet Jesus and be with him forever. We need, to, we need to dwell on these things, don't we? Speak about these things and get excited for the future when Jesus will return. Often we can be so fixated on this world, can't we? But maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Maybe you've heard this stuff before, but you're not convinced. I want to offer this hope to you. This hope can be yours. You can have a future that will be amazing with Jesus in the new creation. But how can you have this hope? You've simply got to admit you've sinned. You've done wrong in God's sight and believe that Jesus died for your sin and rose again to defeat death. You've simply got to trust in Jesus in what he's done. This hope can be yours. In a world that offers short-lived pleasures and no true security, you can find certain security in Christ and an amazing future in Jesus. But what if we don't come to Jesus and give ourselves to him? What happens to the rest of mankind? We find that out in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 5. The return of Christ brings destruction. 
verses 1 to 3. Yesterday, there was a cup final. It was Manchester City versus Man United. This took place in London at Wembley Stadium. At the end of the game, unfortunately, there was joy for Man City because they won the cup. And there was devastation for Man United because they lost the cup. The same game brought one set of fans joy and the other set despair. The same game brought different consequences for different people. And this will be similar at the return of Jesus. The event of Christ's second coming will result in contrasting outcomes for believers and unbelievers. At the return of Jesus, there will be joy for believers as we've seen in verses 13 to 18. But the return of Jesus will bring about destruction. Look at verses 1 to 3. So Paul starts off by stating the fact that no one knows the times or dates about this event. Although the Bible is clear and makes it certainly clear that this event isn't known, people have tried to predict the time, uh, the time of Christ's return. And it's either ended in their embarrassment or a new date set. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses have predicted Christ's return many times. And we know that all those were wrong. The Bible is clear we don't know when Jesus will return. And I'm pretty sure the reason we don't know as Christians is it shouldn't matter to us. We should be people living in light of Christ's return as if it could be any day. We don't need to know because we should be ready all day, every day. But I want to flip verse 1 on its head. Imagine for a second we do know that Jesus, we do know the day that Jesus is going to return. This is not a prophecy, but imagine it's the 10th of June, 2023. Would you change the way you lived this week if you knew Jesus was returning on Saturday? Would you maybe share the gospel more? Maybe pray more? Maybe obey Jesus more? That is, that is a challenge, isn't it? Because if we would, then that could be an indication that we aren't living in light of Christ's return. Just think about that for a moment. What would we change in our life if we knew that Jesus was returning this week? Paul goes on in verse 2, assuring us that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He's making it crystal clear we don't know the time or date, but we know it will come. The phrase, the day of the Lord, usually identifies events that will take place at the end of history. The day of the Lord is an Old Testament idea. It's talked about mostly in the Minor Prophets. And some of Israel's historical judgments were called the day of the Lord, but they were just little snippets compared to the future day of the Lord, which, is, which in this passage is just another way of talking about the return of Jesus as he brings judgment. The Lord will raise up all his people, verses 13 to 18, and as he's, on the way, as he's on the way to bring judgment on the rest of mankind. At the end of verse, the end of verse 2, Paul builds on the fact that we don't know when Jesus will return. Jesus will return like a thief in the night. 
It's unexpected. It's not known. Today, when somebody is planning to rob a house, they don't send a letter through your letterbox and tell you, I'll be breaking in on Tuesday at 2 a.m., be ready for me. No, a thief comes without notice. And the same will be for Jesus. He'll come as a thief in the night. Notice verse 3. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Look at the certainty of this. Verse 2, the day of the Lord will come. Verse 3, destruction will come. Paul uses another picture and it's of a pregnant woman. A pregnant woman knows that labor pains are certain, and once they've come, there's nothing they can do to stop them. There's no, oh, actually, this is painful, I I opt out of this. No, once labor pains come on a woman, she has to go through the pain of childbirth. And the same is for the unbeliever when Jesus returns. There's no second chance. There's no, Lord, actually, I believe in you. I want to follow you. No, it's too late. Destruction will come on unbelievers and they will not escape. In the same way that we as Christians have a certain hope in Jesus when he returns, unbelievers too have a certain judgment and destruction when Jesus returns. The same event brings contrasting results for believers and unbelievers. And this should make us long for our unbelieving loved ones and friends to be saved and brought to Jesus. It should make us long to share the gospel with them that they might be saved and be brought to the Lord Jesus. Destruction will be theirs if they don't repent and believe the gospel. What will separate people on that day is faith in Jesus Christ. That's their only escape. If you are an unbeliever here tonight, Jesus is returning, and all that will be yours is destruction. But as verse 3 says, they will not escape. You can escape today. You can come to Jesus, have your sins forgiven, and new life, a new start in him. You can have this certain hope of no judgment and a future with Jesus in his new creation. But as Christians, what do these two truths mean for us? The certainty that Christians have an amazing hope and also the certainty that non-Christians have destruction awaiting them. How should we respond to them? Look at verses 4 to 11. The return of Christ brings alertness. The return of Christ brings alertness. Verses 4 to 11. Paul goes back again about talking to the Thessalonica believers and to all believers. Look at verse 4 of chapter 5. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Paul says, even though Jesus' return will be unknown, it shouldn't be unexpected. We Christians should be expecting Christ's return every day. Thieves usually do their work at night and break in while people are asleep and have no idea about it. But this should never be the reality for us as Christians. 
We know Jesus is returning, but we don't know when it is. We are not like the rest of mankind from verses 1 to 3 who are in darkness. We are, verse 5, children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. In verse 5, Paul is highlighting for us two ages. The first age, the age of darkness, is the age of this world and the present evil age that Jesus has rescued us from. Jesus has rescued us from the darkness and brought us into the age of light. The age of light which is the age to come when we are with Jesus in the new creation. Romans chapter 13 verses 12 to 14 helps us see that clearer. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. This world, the age of darkness and night, is passing away. It's nearly over. We need to live as children of the light because, verse 5, we don't belong to the night. We don't belong to this world. We belong to the day. Therefore, we need to live as children of the day, children who have their eyes set on the return of Jesus. But those who don't believe are totally oblivious to this. Look at verse 6. So let us not be like others, unbelievers, who are asleep. This isn't talking about people who have died, as we saw earlier. This is talking about unbelievers. But it's not saying unbelievers just sleep all day. This passage is talking about the unbelievers' knowledge of the second coming of Jesus. Unbelievers are asleep to the fact that Jesus is coming back. They don't understand, they don't think about it, they don't expect it. They are asleep to it. Therefore, don't be like them. Think back to verses 13 to 18, the amazing hope we have. And don't be like the rest of mankind who have no hope and who are just focused on this world. Back when I went skiing, I remember we arrived in Switzerland and we got to the chalet in the dark and it was late, so we just went to sleep. But when we got up in the morning, we looked out of the window and outside was a huge mountain. We had no idea about it in the evening when we arrived. But when the morning came, it opened our eyes to the reality of this huge mountain. That will be similar when Jesus returns. The eyes of all non-Christians will be open to some, something they didn't know about, and it will be terrifying for them. Paul continues and tells us, instead of being like the world, be awake, be sober. Being awake here isn't telling Christians to never take a nap or never sleep. No, it's telling us to be, to be, be expecting the return of Jesus. Be awake and alert to the fact that Jesus is 
returning. Be daily thinking about the return of Jesus and be self, be sober. This is, this is a link to being self-controlled. Let us be living in light of Christ's return. We should think back to Jesus' return, but not, not give up our jobs and just sit back and wait till Jesus returns. No, we are to be self-controlled and live in the life he has called us to live. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 displays this. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Thinking about the future hope when Jesus returns helps us to be self-controlled and living for Jesus now. Do you lack self-control? And think about the future. Think about Jesus returning tomorrow. Think about your lost loved ones who need your prayers. Think about obeying Jesus who you might meet sooner than you think. Think about Christ's return and it can promote self-controlled living. Verse 7 keeps that point going. Unbelievers are like people who are drunk. Drunk people don't know what's going on fully and they're not in control. But we shouldn't be like that because we belong to the day. Each morning, most of us get out of bed and we get changed into our clothes. Maybe it might be our, our uniform or something, but every day we do that. We put on our trousers and our t-shirts or, or whatever clothes we might be wearing. We do that every day. As Christians, we need to manufacture the same thing. We need to get up in the morning and put on faith, put on love, and put on hope. Notice verse 8. We belong to the day. Therefore, remember each day by faith, Jesus is returning. And by faith, live for him. By faith, believing that he is returning and he will bring us into his new creation one day. Putting on the love that Christ has for us. Knowing that in Christ we are dearly loved children. Putting on the love that we have from God. Reminding ourselves of it. And as this whole passage has talked about, reminding ourselves to put on hope. The hope we have beyond the grave in Jesus. Faith, love, and hope. These are things we already have from God. They aren't things we need to work up. They are things we need to put on. Why should we put them on? Look at verse 9. They are reality for us. If we are Christians, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we shouldn't think like the rest of mankind, because in Jesus we have a hope after this life. Verse 10 continues, Jesus died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. The asleep here in verse 10 is referring back to those who have died in Christ 
and the awake to the Christian still alive. And we're going back to verses 13 to 18 of chapter 4. Whether you've died or you are still alive, when Jesus returns, we may live with him on that last day. Therefore, encourage one another with this. Let's be awake and alert. Jesus is coming back. People are lost. Only those who trust in Christ will receive salvation. About three years ago, I I went to Cyprus. But before I went to Cyprus, I looked at the weather in Cyprus to see what it was. It was around 30 degrees. Therefore, I packed according to where I was heading. I packed sun cream, shorts, swimming shorts, and T-shirts. You see, where I was heading shaped what clothes I took. This is similar to what Paul is saying here. Look where you are heading, verse 13 to 18 of chapter 4, and let that shape how you live. This is where you are heading, because this is who you are, We belong to the day, therefore live out who you are. But maybe as we've looked at Christ's return, it's time for us to repair our relationship with God and have him restore us. Colossians 3, 1-4 helps us do that. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Seek after Christ. Look at him. Set our whole being on knowing and worshipping him with our lives. Also, I wonder, when did we last think about the future hope we have in Jesus? Because ultimately, as believers, this is our hope. This is better than anything on earth. Everything here on earth should point us to the future hope we have in Jesus. When we taste food, we can look forward to the amazing food of the new creation. When we go on holiday and see amazing scenery, we can look forward to the beauty of the new creation. When we spend good quality time with our church family, we can know that it's just a taste of the new creation when all God's people will be together one day. Even when we sin, we can look forward to the new creation when we will no longer sin. Even when we experience death in our life, we can look forward to the new creation when there won't be any more pain, tears, or death. Everything on this earth should point us to the future hope we have when Jesus returns. We have a future hope in Jesus, therefore we shouldn't think like the rest of mankind. And we can encourage one another with this great certainty we have in life. Let's now do that with our final two songs. Let's sing these two songs that remind us of our hope and who we belong to. So please stand as we sing these two songs to close.
Let's close. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen.